Institute and contributor to yogainternational.com. Co-author of the award-winning book Yoga Mastering the Basics, she's taught yoga practice and theory for over 25 years and had a dedicated practice and studied ancient Sanskrit for over 30. Sandra leads pilgrimages to India and teaches around the world. Welcome back to The Thing About Aging. I'm here today with Sandy Anderson of the Himalayan Institute in the Poconos of Western Pennsylvania, Northeastern. <laughs> Thank you, Sandy. Um, it's a lovely place. I've never been here before. It's gentle and safe and invites wonderful self-inquiry and growth and a path to peace. So thank you for coming and for your time. I'm interested in what you do here. I'm on the faculty here at the Himalayan Institute. We are a, both a retreat center and uh, a, an educational facility, uh, an ashram, really. I train yoga teachers. I teach uh, meditation and yoga philosophy. right write for the Himalayan Institute's uh, blog on our website and also uh, has some classes and trainings on the Wisdom Library. There's so. great videos there. Yes, Thank there you are. for those. And Himalayan Institute is a global. We do have a global presence, yes. Founder was, Swami Rama was from India. Uh, so we've always had a strong presence there. And we take trips there, uh, pilgrimages to different parts of the Indian subcontinent, uh, including up into the Himalayas. We have two centers in India. One of us is in central India, in Kajaraho. It's a retreat center, wonderful place, with mm. a shrine very much like the one we have here. Okay. Uh, we have another one in Allahabad at the confluence of the Ganga and uh, Yamuna rivers. And you also do a lot of outreach and charity we have a big, a very active humanitarian uh, branch that's active in uh, Africa, in Cameroon. We have offshoot called Mocha Origins. Our Cameroon business is it's a institute, but it's 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 Himalayan Institute, but it's very independent. It's run by Cameroonians, uh, and they have all kinds of businesses, including a. Uh, carpentry school and a health clinic and they are growing cacao which is from what we make chocolate. Mm -hmm. uh, the business here on our campus imports coffee and coffee beans and cacao beans and then processes them here and sells them and that their proceeds go back into aid for those countries. Wonderful. So, and we take trips to those places as well. Well fantastic. So today we'd like to talk about um, and hear your insight about the process of aging and yoga. And how much aging it forces us to reconsider the things that we're identified with and attached to. This is like the ultimate spiritual practice because uh, yoga in general is about dispelling our false identifications, our false colorings through the filters through which we see the world and how we understand ourselves, which is affecting how we respond. So often responding in ways that are inappropriate because we interpret the situation in a very narrow or even completely mistaken way. Mm -hmm. you know, through our filter of yeah, our, our filter experience, of previous or, experience, mm -hmm. um, our identifications, uh, and those are often unconscious in many ways, and they're not necessarily constructive. So, for example, if you've been telling yourself subconsciously for your entire life that you're a worthless person who doesn't know anything, okay, yeah, then that's how you see the world, and everything that happens to you is how you interpret that. I mean, that's how that's how you 
Right. It reinforces exactly. you look for things to reinforce, reinforce who you that think belief. You are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when you when you when you're aging, you have to face the reality that you are no longer all the things that you were when you were younger. <laughs> so, and part of our difficulty in aging is letting go of our false identities and not having a an identity that is an inner self, uh, essential nature self, and that's what yoga is designed to give us, is one, on the one hand, uh, to help us see more clearly so we see that the situation in ourselves in relationship to that in more clearly, and mm-hmm. not necessarily through our filters, but then two, also to give us uh, a, a place to stand, an understanding of our true nature, and a, an inner anchoring, uh, an inner unconditional sense of ourself that's not dependent on the inner outer world. Uh, and those two things together are what yoga does. Now, uh, when you say yoga, you don't necessarily mean what I believe the asana is, the postures, oh, the classes. Not. Yes, no, asana has nothing to do with this other than it's one mechanism for helping organize our, our energetic and our biological energies in a way that allows us to have a glimpse of ourselves in a deeper way. Because mm-hmm. I think for most of us, yoga is putting on comfortable clothing, going to the mat, doing yeah. the exercises. So can you explain a little bit what you're talking about when you say yoga? Well, all of yoga, including that going to the mat in your asana practice, is designed to allow the mind to turn to something that's not just the outer world. Mm-hmm. It's about an inner inner awareness. And that starts with an awareness of the vehicle for that inner awareness is the body. It starts with an awareness of that and it lets you through the practices we do, you know, what people think yoga is, those practices allow us to um, stabilize the nervous system mm-hmm. and uh, so that we're not constantly being forced to have an outward focus long enough to allow us to have an understanding of our um, present moment awareness, our kinesthetic awareness, our uh, introception is the word that's used these days, our somatic reality, not just the stories we're telling ourselves mm-hmm. or the experiences that, of the moment that we're processing, but rather kind of an inner sense of ourself, the way children have, uh, except as conscious. And then uh, from there you're able, if you can stabilize into stillness from that kind of a, uh, energetic uh, balance, uh, then you start to have a sense of yourself as uh, a, uh, a presence, as an awareness, an essential nature, uh, the essence of yourself. And then when you have that, it's much easier to not be so attached to your outer identities that are reinforced by the world around you. Well, so, that becomes something more that you do as opposed to that you are. It's something, it's a, it's a commitment you've taken on. It's mm-hmm. a role you play. It's a role that you play mm-hmm. and not yourself. Uh, but most of us are very much identified with those roles, or at very least, uh, with the thoughts in our mind, our feelings, our minds. Mm-hmm. We have no sense of ourselves as being something more than just the mind and our thoughts and feelings. Our personality is what we get identified with, and then we cling desperately to that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe part of it is we haven't practiced the yoga. We have nowhere else to go, so it's kind of this like... exactly. Exactly. Frightening, but right. what else could I yeah, be? Yeah, what else could I yeah, be? And right. that's what happens when we age. We suddenly no longer have, yeah. we have our thoughts and our feelings, but they're not being validated by the world around us anymore because we're no longer funny and attractive to every man on the street. We're no longer needed by our grown children who are now grandparents themselves. We're no longer the CEO of the company. We're no longer 
the strong person who's able to do the physical work that we did that perhaps our our identity as a you know some kind of a profession or activity mm-hmm. that required you no know, no we're no longer an ace tennis player yep, yep. we're not and perhaps even more scary we're no longer uh, mentally as sharp you know we've start to have some decline in there and so we're no longer able to be the star bridge player you mm-hmm. know those kind of things mm-hmm. start happening our senses get slow our reactions are slower this is your average person of course it doesn't necessarily happen but many of us find as aging those the the body starts not to respond as appropriately so if we're strongly if our sense of self-worth and identity is strongly attached to those things that start to decline with age then we it becomes a big problem for us Um, and we feel less than exactly we feel uh we start feeling insecure because we're less able to manage the world around us in a way uh and if we've all if we've been at all tended towards anxiety to start with or any other kinds of problems we had that are unresolved start coming up big time now because we are unable to distract ourselves or to manage them as successfully. Mm-hmm. So our aging is really uh, an opportunity to step back and understand uh, what the true nature of self is mm. and to understand, to have some sense of our essence self. I also find for myself that I'm less caring about all those things that I once identified myself with that I'm much less able to be not as attached to all of those successes, uh, all of the experiences that I once really wanted to have, that I'm happier just to be, just to be. Just to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the great gift of aging, is that you are not so dependent on um, all these things around you to give you validation or to make you give you happiness, mm-hmm. uh, and you're able to to be. Think you have a perspective. Mm-hmm. You don't care about the shoulds so you much. You have a perspective yep. that allows you to see things in context. It's kind of like you know when you're four years old and your ice cream cone falls on the hot sidewalk. It's like a major tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're actually you know, it kind of still is if it happens <laughs> as you get older hopefully it might be you know very disappointing but it doesn't turn your world upside down yeah yeah and i think that is just an analogy for how as we age ideally anyway mm-hmm. there are bigger things that drop onto the sidewalk and melt but again we're able to have it in perspective not that we don't regret that that's the case not that we don't still want the ice cream but we're able to see it in a bigger context mm-hmm. and therefore our eyes are not just on the sidewalk and the, and the ice cream and hopefully as we age our eyes are not just on um, our wealth our position in our uh, corporation our position in the family you know all the things that we have been focused on throughout our life our eyes start to be bigger and we start to have mm. a bigger view of the world and of ourselves in it, and maybe less about us and more about the, the flow of things through us and through the world and our understanding of, of what's behind all of that. And that's where our yoga philosophy comes in because it helps us uh, to have that kind of a context and an understanding. And our practice gives us an experience of that, however grand or small it might be. It's still an experience of ourselves being unconditionally um, a sense of unconditional well-being that comes even if all we're doing is practicing asana. And if we can hold on to that, <clears throat> those moments, we realize that we do have the capacity to be balanced and content in some way and have some sense of self-acceptance regardless of what is happening around us that may feel disempowering or 
difficult in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these inner resources to um, to be glad that we're not so emotionally reactive <laughs> as we age. <laughs> Absolutely. I loved how you put that. What do you mean, what is flowing through us? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I experience thoughts, feelings, Not attaching to them, just letting them kind of exactly. fly on by. Right. Someone comes at you with negative energy, just kind of be like... Yeah, you don't have to take it on. And also just things that are very difficult, you know, problems that happen or, you know, you, you see this is an event in my daughter's life, for example, that is going to give her, uh, you know, difficulty mm-hmm. maybe, but mm-hmm. it's grist for her growth. You know, you see it in that context mm-hmm. as opposed to... Oh, this is a tragedy. Just feeling her pain. And, and her pain, yeah. and this is my yeah. fault. You know, you, I mean, you, know, you can build all <laughs> oh, kinds Oh, absolutely. Of, you can build all kinds of stuff yeah. around that, yeah. but when you start to see it in the bigger play, especially if you have a yoga worldview, um, a bigger play of, uh, you know, things propelling these experiences in people's lives that we don't know that are not, that are below the waterline, so to speak, from uh, from the depths of the unconscious, from other lives, from... Uh, events and experiences that we couldn't foresee, or even if we did foresee, it's something that needed to be... You start being a little more accepting of what things are and less insisting that they be the way that we wish they were. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you can do that, you're not nearly as... When you're not attached to particular outcomes, um, then you start to have some um, equanimity. uh, And that's really the grace and the gift of, um, of aging through life. Mm-hmm. Um, and life is really designed to do that for us, but yoga is a shortcut because it allows us to start to see that or to have some experience of ourselves as other than just that flow of things through the conscious mind um, so that uh, that we're able to uh, avoid some of the pain that comes from having to learn those things uh, by surviving them as opposed to mm-hmm. um, uh, gracefully um, maneuvering, <laughs> experiencing, and digesting. And I think maybe we've learned over time a lot of these things that we think are so dramatic and so horrible. It it works through, and it's fine. In terms of as we are aging, going through all of these changes, what are some practices? I know that you do a lot with the, you're an amazing, beautiful teacher of the breath and pranayama, I think is how it's pronounced. Pranayama, yeah. Pranayama. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, it turns out the... um, the key, the first thing that needs to happen, if you look at it from the uh, neuroanatomy point of view, is our our nervous system is really designed to protect us and to let us go out into the world and have you know in the physical world and experience have experiences and survive. Okay. So if the things in the world around us and our survival issues are not managed, that's the first thing we want to do. But the second thing, of course, is that. Uh, the nervous system gets programmed according to all of these things that we've been talking about, our previous experiences, uh, all the way back to God knows when, you know, before we were even born, but also the things that happened to us as a child, um, their family um, worldview and our family's uh, emotional tone is also passed on mm-hmm. uh, at a very young age, and it's usually unconscious as well. Uh, you know, all the all the cultural things in the time that we're living in, all of those start to influence how the nervous system responds so that it gets programmed in a way that's not necessarily helpful. Uh, traumatic stress, tra- trauma, is, you know, a classic example. Okay. It, and if you dial that down from being clinical, it's the kind of thing that's shaping 
all of us in mm-hmm. a way. It mm-hmm. just, you know, we're not just dysfunctional about it. It might be something we can manage or that we're living with. We aren't diagnosed as being traumatized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and better that we shouldn't be because it's the kind of thing when we become aware of we're able to heal from, you know, just by changing our habits. So, um, but we, what, what our practices do, going back to yoga, is the, even the asana, but certainly the breath training, but asana is breath training, essentially. It's meant to change um, how we're breathing. It dials down the reactivity in the nervous system, which happens for most of us to be slightly on and all of the time. Our nervous system is alert. You know, we're predisposed towards negativity, both psychologically and oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. physiologically. It's just a biological fact. You can see how that happens because uh, if the nervous system is all about survival... Uh, it has to watch for those cues. Exactly. And the mm-hmm. person who's fine and divine decides that that looming dark shape on the side of the path is just a shadow, and the other person who's really nervous all the time thinks, oh, no, it's... You know, it's a saber-toothed cat or whatever. Right, right. So uh, the fine and divine person uh, might not have high blood pressure, but they don't live long enough to reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> so this is called a negativity bias. Okay. So, so we have to manage that because the, the events of life continue to pile up, moving us in the direction of distress, both physical and psychological. Mm-hmm. Well, they're related. I mean, psychological stress is going to end up giving us physical whatever. So what our practice does... Our relaxation, our breathing, our asana, you know, the hatha yoga practices, meditation as well, but you, you probably need to work with the physical body in order to actually meditate. Um, all of them, actually. Chanting, the scripture recitation, these are all ways that have been proven now clinically to dial down the reactivity survival uh, uh, modes, the survival mechanisms, the survival aspect of the nervous system, the stress response, the... Uh, all of those, even the freeze response of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is also survival mm-hmm. mechanism, survival uh, orientation, they tend to take the part of it out of the nervous system. They bring you into a balance. Really? Wow. So that's the first thing that needs to happen, is we can get um, the nervous system, you have to manage the nervous system first, and it's the autonomic nervous system that needs to be managed, because... The autonomic nervous system is the one that's defensive and that is uh, runs your fear response. It runs sex. It runs food and hunger. It runs sleep. It run, Those are four instinctive urges that are not under our conscious control. They may be consciously controlled, but they're also autonomically controlled. Okay, okay. They're absolutely there. I mean, they don't. you don't have to be conscious for any of those things to, to work. So they're run by... Um, you know, a hardwired autonomic autopilot. So it's not something you can talk yourself out of because Absolutely. this is hardwired. Okay. Absolutely. And that's why talk therapy doesn't work except for orienting your worldview enough that you're able to stop putting information into your conscious mind that affects the autonomic nervous system. Okay. You know, and that's part of what you need to address. You need to address both the top down and the bottom up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the bottom up is this primitive, instinctive, survival, hardwired autopilot thing that all of us have, and all all life has it. All animals have it as well. These are the things we share. There's even a, uh, you know, a, a Sanskrit uh, text that clearly says these are the things. And they talk over in the Sanskrit texts for yoga that talks over and over about our animal nature and needing to to manage that somehow. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing that needs to happen because the survival motivation systems, when they are active, they do not support or facilitate any kind of creativity, empathy, social bonding, you know, any of the things that create the kind of, or growth. Even mm-hmm. physical growth isn't, isn't supported. Hmm. Even digestion's not supported when those are fully active. Because it so, hijacks exactly. every and blocks everything. It hijacks everything. everything mm-hmm. And it isn't necessarily fear always because there's the fear-based motivational system, which is survival, which is familiar with all of us. And it's also just, by the way, where our ego comes from. Okay. Because, I mean, it, it, the ego plays in there when our identifications are challenged, that system turns on as well. So our fear is not just in... I'm going to die. I'm going to die. It's who I think I am is going to die when I lose my job. Okay, yes. And maybe losing my job is financially challenging, and that could be a different part of it, but if maybe even if I'm, I lose my identity, I lose my sense of self-importance, I lose my... I'm no um, longer the caretaker. I'm no longer this or that, so who am I? Those challenges cause that same reaction in the nervous system, and that's what happens to us all the time in in daily life, where somebody doesn't acknowledge my sense that I'm the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. So that's one motivational system, but the other one is more opportunistic in the sense of looking for pleasure or avoiding pain or looking for comfort. And, you know, the one that has you wanting more and more cookies. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, and avoiding eating things that are not helpful. It's the choice of immediate pleasant, pleasure. Yes, mm-hmm. or the pleasant rather than the good. This is how the mm-hmm. Kato Upanishad talks about it. So you make choices that are pleasant, or and our society is rife with that. I mean, our culture just completely is telling us our life is about more and more uh, happiness and pleasure and experiences and money maybe, but that's just a way to kind of, for many of us, to have all of the the glamour or the experiences or the pleasurable, comfortable life that we want um, instead of choosing morally or um, what we know is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's that imbalance there between the good and the merely the pleasant. Uh, so that part of our motivational system can also hijack our, uh, our nervous system in a way that has our senses always looking for opportunities and our mind, our conscious mind. So we're always looking for opportunities in our environment to increase our sense of self-importance, to get wealthier, to have more, you know, Where's the birthday cake? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah. <clears throat> and and by right, because right can be. Well, that's the problem. Yes. Yes. Very subjective, and mm-hmm. very, and we can argue about what's right all the time. But I think what you're talking about is bringing us back into our natural balance. Like what what would be your conscience, highest and best. Yeah. And highest being and best in alignment. For all. Yeah, being in alignment with. Uh, and that becomes a self-discovery as well, because often what our conscience, we think is our conscience is telling that, but our conscience is also configured by our, um, what we call our vasanas in yoga practice, which are these um, patterns of behavior or the way our understanding of ourselves got shaped either by our, you know, the past or by our experiences. So the voice in our head telling us this is wrong might be an internalized uh, cue from our family situation or from the past okay, right. that is not legitimate except in that context and that context is no longer here. Mm-hmm. Uh, or we just know, you know, you start to grow yourself a little bigger and you realize that, you know, that came out of my whatever, but it's not, uh, it, what if it wasn't true? And then you start exploring how maybe it's not and maybe the higher truth is there's no need to hate my neighbors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was just 
a misunderstanding or you see the context in which that happened, but this... Yeah. It isn't relevant. It isn't relevant anymore. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it never was. Right. And okay. maybe it never was, exactly. Mm-hmm. But So you have to kind of continue to question your conscience in that way, but what you are doing, of course, is choosing what is what you know are to the best of your ability to be um, the good for for the the better good for all, rather than just what's pleasant, comfortable, and safe for you in the moment. So that is actually a, one of the great starting places. Maybe is this questioning, this curiosity that we yes. can bring to our beliefs that yeah. feel like truths. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and you you get a chance to see that again as you're aging. Because uh, you start to see what you didn't realize is so a uh, truth, mm-hmm. you suddenly question whether that's actually true or not. Is it really true that I'm uh, uh, that I'm no longer a useful member in society, mm-hmm. or is it uh, uh, you know what is this social? conditioning that makes us devalue women when they get past a certain age. Uh, right on. Mm-hmm. So you start to see it, and then you start realizing that you kind of bought into it maybe mm-hmm. without realizing it, because we all are also hardwired to belong to a, a social group of some kind. We can't, we, we don't survive on our own. We have to be in community and family in some kind of a social organization. You see that happening where a lot of women, you know, you wonder how can they support this mindset, corporate situation or family situation when it's so antithetical to any well-being for women at large, but it's because that's a survival coloration they take on in order to, to thrive in that particular environment. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I and, worked on Wall Street. I absolutely <laughs> know what you're talking about. Uh, and uh, to some extent, that's fine, except... At some point where you start to believe that, you know, you might be able to adjust yourself personally to survive in that environment, but if you decide you want to support that environment at all costs, then you're not working for the larger good. Mm -hmm. You know, you're working for what's comfortable for you. Right, uh, right. Because you've managed to make yourself into a person who survives there at the expense of denying an inner reality for yourself. That wouldn't have you agreeing with men that are heckling women and grabbing them and bragging about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> coming back and talking about the strip club they went to, then I ho ho ho, and I'm ho hoing with them. I yeah. mean, I or just supporting like, politicians what? who openly hate women and mm-hmm. uh, degrade them. And of course, it goes all the way down to choosing the salad instead of the, the creme brulee. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know that it, you know it's, it's a choice you see all over. Not that there's anything wrong with uh, all of those, but. You know, you make choices that are that are somewhat uh, uncomfortable, perhaps in the moment, but are for the better good of the body, or the better good of the lifestyle, or the better good of your your overall well being. Mm-hmm. But then, when you you need to extend that into uh, the family, into the community, into the political, cultural, social, all of that, you know, and then you start seeing all those different levels at which we're interacting. Um, if our choices are being about our own comfort and not the larger good, um, we end up making ourselves small and kind of confined inside this um, isolated place that becomes restrictive. And the older we get, the more restrictive it becomes. And we are complicit in that and make ourselves small because that's what the expectation is that we're supposed to do as we age. Well, maybe, but, um, but, you know, the expectation is not, there is no expectation that you continue to support a a, a repressive political system or a repressive family situation. 
but you do that because it's comfortable. But because mm-hmm. it's repressive, as you age, you get more and more defensive because if you fail to have an inner place from which you can assess and evaluate those kind of restricted belief systems, then you spend all your energy defending them and mm-hmm. you become more defensive, paranoid, um, bitter, rigid and bitter yeah. person mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. you age instead of a more gracious uh, comfortable, loving, wise, mm-hmm. older person whose world is growing bigger in one sense, even though it might be coming smaller in another when you have less energy to explore every nook and cranny of uh, the world physically, but you're able to enjoy <clears throat> all of the experiences that are available to you um, wherever your center is, wherever you're from. And that sounds like the gift of aging. Yes, it is. Is that, like you said, you can't go out and explore the nooks and crannies, so you go yeah. more internal, and then that yeah. creates this opportunity to rediscover yeah. self yeah. and yeah. open. And yeah, and to, and to uh, enjoy more, because your capacity for enjoyment is different than your capacity for pleasure, um, from, for just your capacity for happiness is what you internally have. And the capacity, the world can give you comfort, as my teacher is fond of saying, but not happiness. So Mm. your capacity to really appreciate uh, a sunset, uh, a meal, your grandchildren, is really a function of your inner uh, connection to the source of your own inner happiness much more than it's the result of those events happening outside of you. Because you can all imagine... You know, when you're preoccupied, you don't even notice the sunset. You don't appreciate it because you're worried about something. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you're completely uh, free and, and have a lot of the sense of self-acceptance and uh, an equi- sense of equanimity, uh, which is the gift of aging if things go as planned, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and with the, the gift of yoga practice, essentially, then you are able to be amazed and completely experience the joy of looking at that beautiful thing. But that, again, that's just not a function of being surrounded by beautiful things. It's a function of your inner capacity to appreciate what it is um, that is around you. That's so interesting because I'm thinking of my father who has dementia, which could be interpreted as so tragic. Mm -hmm. And the man... I almost, I couldn't believe it. He looked down and saw some flowers and said, look at those beautiful flowers. It was the first time in his life I had ever heard him notice a flower. It was so beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, because, uh, you know, as as the stories that we tell ourselves, the thinking process becomes less prominent Mm -hmm. uh, in that case. And distracting. Yeah, yeah. mm -hmm. then the experience of life, uh, that sort of embodied experience becomes more available to mm-hmm. us. Ideally, with age, you begin to integrate uh, your capacity for thinking and discrimination with your capacity for embodied experience. Uh, and you're not so tied to forcing a particular story or protecting a particular identification of your personality or a particular role that you're playing. You have an integrated experience that allows you to be fully present. All those levels of your nervous system become integrated in that way. So this autonomic nervous system, that's kind of your beast side. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and your thinking side mm-hmm. um, work together. Oh, They're, okay. And, and normally what, they don't. 
Well, normally you override all of that all because of that. you're busy being the executive or busy being the parent or busy being whatever. Okay. Um, you uh, Or you're busy because your nervous system is traumatized and every experience you have is now filtered through, is this safe, is it not, is this good, is it bad? So your mind is going one way, I see. your gut level is going another, your nervous system is programmed on the world is dangerous and I'm scared to death, and your mind is saying, um, I'm, no, it's ridiculous, I'm driving down the road, and you've got this I see. Okay. churning thing going on that you might be aware of, but you don't know why, and you, you know you're telling yourself it's unreasonable, you're split, your personality. Yeah, because split. very often uh, my mind, I'll be like, that's ridiculous, and yeah. I still can't get yeah, myself to take a deep breath. You know, your body isn't going there. Yeah, isn't going, exactly. So by integration, you're allowing a natural communication and yes. empowering both to... To work together and be more powerful. Yeah, exactly. The, okay. You know, the, the fragmented mind is disempowered. Mm-hmm. And it's disempowered, it's fragmented by, it's, first of all, even when there is an integration, the mind is fragmented by the senses moving in all around us, which is what normal people are doing. But our, our yoga practice not only brings us to an empowerment in daily life moving forward, so that, you know, the... the Yoga philosophy, it doesn't draw a line between the inner and outer worlds as much as most people think it does. Um, what it does is it's, it's a peaceful flow of awareness, and that could be in the world around us that's integrated, uh, so our nervous system and our mind are working together. Um, but it can also be a peaceful flow of awareness inward where we begin to connect into that wellspring of uh, intelligence, intuition, um, the life force itself. Uh, that place of our essence nature that we talked about at the beginning uh, that isn't dependent on what's going around us for mm-hmm. its uh, validation or its identification. Mm-hmm. So that sense of being. So both things happen with practice. Uh, and But as I was saying, the first thing we have to do with yoga practice is be able to manage this whirling swirl of demands that the nervous system is making on us to get the nervous system to a balanced state, at least occasionally. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that it starts stops being dysfunctional, and there gets to be a more smooth flow of directive awareness. So our energy is more collected and moved in the direction it needs to be to make do whatever we're doing in our life, which might be managing a house full of difficult children or or a corporation or you know whatever it is what we're trying to manage. But the more um, the more integrated we can get as a person, the more powerful we are in the outer world as well as the more we're able to tap into um, our essence self as well. So those two things. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm actually really, this is exciting about aging. It creates opportunity for us to get to that state, to that presence. Definitely. I think it's easier. For one thing, your biological exuberance is mm-hmm. not as strong, so it doesn't override your intelligence quite as much. It's easier to manage. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, and um, we get more satisfied with life as we get older. Uh, if we're able to put those experiences of our life into context and to be able to, uh, again, kind of build a self-acceptance from that uh, then we're able to be more tolerant of everyone else and all of those around us, and that, of course, makes us a lot happier, too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, it's an opportunity. Uh, it really is. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time and this thoughts and teachings. and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Sandy. You're welcome. This is Sharon Saltzgiver, and that's The Thing About Aging. <laughs>